you're listening to the Sit Rep Podcast, your home for everything historical wargaming. Today, we're at the table and we're going to be talking about anything and everything related to wargaming from a historical standpoint. We might not get it right, but we're going to talk about it. Joining us today from merry old England is Gaz, our Bob Ross of painters. And from the east coast of Florida, our historical guru, Big Jim Ariskany. Then up in the Midwest, it's Marty, our projects director, and myself, Bill, talking about everything related to historical modern, or not even modern anymore, just historical wargaming. And ready? Get set? Let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. So that was an impromptu intro as we uh, start revamping some of our music and everything with changes in command staff. But we're back. We're going to talk about just about a whole bunch of stuff today. And joining us, as always, is Gaz. Gaz, how are you doing today? I am sweating my proverbial small items off. Um, for some reason, Jim's weather's managed to make it to the UK. I think it might have been squally. I pushed it across. So it's a balmy 93, 94 degrees today. But other than that, and I'm staying hydrated, doing doing due diligence with my uh, water intake today. But yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, so let's be clear. That's 93 degrees Fahrenheit because you are in the UK. You do use the metric system. So we're making sure it's not 93 degrees Celsius and England isn't bursting into flames, right? Yeah, I Americanized it for you. <laughs> I understand you guys, you know, and calculus are not great. Yeah, so he, you dumbed it down is what you're politely trying to we're say. All, we're all like military calculus and never have strong point. That's why we were in the military. <laughs> right. All right. Joining us over in uh, balmy, sunny, warm Florida is Big Jim Riskini. Jim, how are you doing today? You convert calculus to Celsius by subtracting 32 and dividing by 5 eighths. So <laughs> thanks for that, uh, guys. I appreciate that. Uh, no, it's great over here. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't even have to take all my boots off to do all that counting. So. Right. <laughs> nice. That's right. Excellent. Uh, no, the weather over here is great. Um, I tell you what, if you want to share our weather, guys, I'll just send the next hurricane over that way. We have two more months of hurricane weather left, and then, then we'll be okay. Sounds good. I could do with a breeze and some rain right now. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit more than a light breeze. Well, about that, yeah. <laughs> All right. And, and we don't have those sirens either, so it probably wouldn't be the best thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up here in the Midwest, uh, we're enjoying a breezy, a uh, light breeze. Yeah. Sunny morning as we sit outside in FTX land. And Marty's joining us. Marty, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you very much. Do you like that on the fly? I just gave you the title, Projects Director. Sure. I, I've been working on projects and i directed them to be done i guess so, that works i've been uh, reading a lot of dirk pitt novels from clive Kessler, so you know dirk is the special projects director so i didn't give you the special title i haven't earned that yet so there's well, that as, as i as i raise my game i expect to you know be promoted into that position i'm sorry jim what was that I was just saying he's definitely special, but we don't say that yet. It's true. Oh, I've known that for over 30 years. Right? All right. I knew. So, uh, this is Bill, and we're talking a whole bunch of stuff, but before we start, we have to get an official announcement off and running. Two weeks ago, we had a little contest between mm -hmm. the Americans and the British. 
Yeah. We played Battlefield Revolution, which is a game created by our one and only Big Jim Mariskini. And um, Marty, what do we say? God save the queen. Well, you know, the, the rebels, uh, you know, put up a, a, a good fight and, uh, you know. The, the colonists, uh, you know, did the did the best they could, but in the end, the British took were, it. Were unsuccessful. Yeah. So we'll be living under the thumb of the British Empire for another year. So congratulations, Gaz. Yep. Uh, who had the uh, had, who had the best classic uh, online formation ever in yep. that game? I think you literally had every line unit online. Yep. On one line. And yeah, we, we and we, we tried to run it as a hit and run tactic, and it just didn't work. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it was a really fun game actually, and uh, it was it was a, a really good move at the end that the the local rebels pulled by pushing the northern flank, uh, coming around and almost took victory from uh, from me uh, right at the uh, the finish. Really, uh, it came down to a single volley of fire against a single unit. Mm. So uh, a stunning game. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, Jim. I mean, what was your inspiration for designing that game? Um, honestly, uh, okay, so it's just it's just a game that I wanted to play. So you know, I, I design a lot of games. I design a lot of uh, games, and you know, the long story short, take your first shot. Here you go. I uh, design games that you know either I want really want to play or that my group really wants to play. So this is the thing that kind of um, you know determines uh, pretty much any of the games that we design. It's like okay, what does our crew want to do like right now? Yeah. So sometimes that's a bit of a bad thing because it makes it very very specific. It doesn't have the best shelf life. Like I doubt we're going to be playing. Uh, say like the Benghazi Transit game for seven years, like we have with Dark Star. Uh-huh. But um, it's really always the same thing. You get together with the exact people that you want to play. I mean, it's technically just market research, but it's market research with a you know a market of three people. Sure. You, know, you get together with the people that you really want to play with. And you say, okay, what things do we want in this game? What things don't we want in this game? In Battlefield Revolution, everything that I see is either like regimental level, or if you're talking about Napoleonics, it goes all the way up to you know division or core level. Like you know the really big like Waterloo level games, uh, or like this super small skirmish stuff, and I'm like, I don't this, skirmish gaming isn't really my thing, you know. Full disclosure, and the really big games, um, they're still fun, but uh, the problem with the revolution is you can't usually do them. You know, I mean, okay, yeah, you have brigade level games, core level games, division level games for Napoleonic. That works great for Leipzig, for Waterloo, for Austerlitz, for Borodino. If you did, if you used that scale and you applied it to most American Revolution battles, your entire game would be two pieces. You know, a big blue one and a little, you know, a big red one. And, okay, that's kind of dumb. So I was just trying to kind of shoot for the middle there. Uh, the original idea was to have it be a nice, clean company-level game. Uh-huh. Companies in those companies in those days were like 50 people. Um, and this one is more. It's like 80 to 100. The scale, I'm not 100% happy with because it's like this weird, wonky, uh, there's two companies per counter kind of a scale. But one company per scale would have been nice, but now the games just get too big. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, we had about uh, 1,200 people on the field on each side uh, in the uh, Sid Rep Cup game. Um, yeah, Gaz sort of downloaded the rules, drew his own copy of the map, and, like, his turn one was like, okay, this unit is going to the hex 1312. This unit's going into hex 1314. This, like, the whole thing was clocked. So he had put a lot of preparation into that game. I think that gave him a good uh, 
uh, vision, like going into his first couple turns or whatever. Uh-huh. So of course, the rebels started rebels started screwing things up with you know rifle shots and you know Marty's artillery that he had way down on the south wing. <laughs> it got stuck he, down he there, so, but I had to use it. The problem. <laughs> you you, uh, he, you had uh, Gaz's entire um, left wing pinned down with those two divisions of guns until until they redeployed to the center, and only then could he really get going with his whole you know his whole left wing. But then when you tried to, you know, redeploy him, that's when he got pinned down by his artillery. And uh, that's, you know, it was like half the game before, you know, Gaz could really sort of, you know, get moving. But he took all three objectives. He took three out of the five objective X's. And then, um, yeah, he took the whole linear warfare thing really seriously. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was the longest and most cohesive line I've ever seen in Battlefield uh, Revolution so far. And, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, dude, if I was the American player, I would not want to attack that. And there was just no way it was going to happen. Uh, then you guys started playing into the north with that little, you know, r- r- runaway battle group. There was one very small problem with the command rating. Uh, they, they outpaced our commanders a little bit um so we detached the colonel out there just to kind of uh, redress that uh but then yeah once they got going i was like they're not gonna take that what was it it was a uh, brenner's mill or something it was no it was a uh, brenner's crossing yeah. the actual town i was like they're not gonna take that objective because it's across the stream it's stone buildings it's got grenadiers in there or, or some kind of light infantry you know uh, there's no way they're gonna then i forgot there was an objective X behind that that was completely unoccupied with a ford right there and I was like oh that's what they were going for because uh-huh. you guys had to take off I, I really like the last like two turns of the game and I was like oh wait a minute I might be able to steal this um, so I saw the plan you guys were talking about you guys had in your head at first yeah. I didn't see it I was like you guys are you know, like, no, I won't say anything because we're recording. But that that, that trash ain't gonna work. There's no way they're taking that little that little town. Oh wait, they're going for that one up there on the hill. Oh, yeah. And the thought was if we could make yet. the turn around his northern flank, we could get there. Yep. Yeah, there are two objective hexes up there, and I thought you were going for the first one, and that was kind of an impossibility. I know that. I wasn't was... saying anything, but I forgot there was one behind that. And there was a second. I said, "Oh, they're going for that one." So we fixed the command uh, radius issue, and then uh, we continued with that with that uh, flanking move- movement, and it came close. It was they they didn't even get destroyed. That, that Vanguard unit, uh, by, I think it was Continental Regulars, uh, they got pinned down like. Those, that game, the hex is like 100 yards. So they got pinned down like less than 100 paces away from the objective hex. Damn. Um, so close. On the very last turn of the game. If there was one more turn in that game, they probably could have made it. Um, but of course, by then, Gaz had more reinforcements going there. But it came within like 50 or 100 yards. <laughs> in sight of close. the objective. Yes, within sight. That's 50 to 100 yards on a, on a battlefield that's like a mile by two miles. It's, yeah. it's a big... It's a big big piece of ground yeah nice but yeah i i would say i would say honestly that was all three players that was the close that was the first time playing uh that system i think that was marty's first time correct me if i'm wrong marty with a hex encounter game in general or it was yes yeah so yeah i think i, I getting my head ahead. around the movement was, was a little tough like gaz i i did uh i did some homework when uh when you shared the rules uh although Gaz did it old school and actually scribbled all of it down by hand. Uh, I cut and pasted it into a, a document that ended up being 19 pages long, and then you know printed out the maps the whole the whole nine yard. Uh, but you know I, I didn't have a good feel for what exactly the initial deployment was going to look like, so I, I wasn't able to really you know get a solid uh, 
plan formulated there, but knowing that we were, uh, uh, you know, going to try and do some uh, guerrilla tactics, uh, I was looking for uh, for whatever cover we could find, and that's that's how we ended up deployed along the road in the woods and whatnot, uh, because you know we felt that that would uh, lend to our strengths. Gaz, Gaz pinned down my uh, our artillery uh, early. We got them trapped down on the southern edge of the board, and well, I can't just say, "Well, sit there, guys." So, right. So, so we used them, and turned out they were pretty effective. I probably should have left them down there. Yeah, it, it was probably a mistake to, yeah. to move them because uh, you know I I could have you know my fear was is that you know with Gaz's deployment that he was going to be able to to make a full on charge and and get those guys, and I didn't want to lose my artillery. So instead, I moved them up north so I could lose my artillery. To <laughs> Uh, lateral movement under sight of enemy guns is, uh, you know, that, that's always a risky proposition. But again, it's it's people just getting used to the scale and, uh, yeah, the movement rates. So even people who played like big, uh, it's basically level two gaming. It's command tactical gaming or whatever. Same as a regular miniatures game, except here a single piece on the table represents more than one person. And that sounds like a little difference, but it really isn't. It's because it's now a unit versus a unit. There's no role to hit. There's a role for effect. And, you know, a whole bunch of other things. The damage that you inflict is probably 70% psychological as well as physical or collateral or anything like that. Um, but, uh, oh, I totally lost my train of thought there in that whole aside. Um, yeah, it's just getting used to that uh, to that level of, of, uh, of game or whatever. And even people who are used to that level of game, like people who play Panzer Leader or whatever, um, the movement rates, I could tell, yeah. were, were starting. Yeah, and again, that's just that's just you know, it's linear warfare. It's guys without radios. It's a colonel who has to yell at a major, who has to yell at a bunch of either captains or lieutenants who have to yell at a bunch of sergeants, and you've got men that basically have, let's face it, like third grade educations uh, by today's standards. Um, half of them don't want to be there. Half of them are released from either British jails or their, you know, militia who you know may or may not want to be there or whatever. Uh, untrained militia, I should add. So getting people to move around without radios or unit facing is a problem. Uh, like a unit evangel leader never has a facing. It just goes there and it's a platoon. It's you know assumed to be like these guys are trained. Like when you say to go to that hex grid, they go to that hex grid and there's no facing because they either herringbone the tanks or the infantry put out flankers, little fl flanker fire teams or something. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, the guns, even if, even if it's a battery of guns, usually don't set up in a straight Napoleonic line. Whereas in a black powder game, that's exactly what they do. So formation is a thing. Shifting out of one formation to another formation is a thing. Uh, movement rates are incredibly slow. Uh, it's very restrictive, and it's it's kind of by design. But once you get used to it, uh, you can use all those restrictions um, against your enemy, too, because you know how fast he can go. This is sort of what was happening along that north flank. Yeah. Is, yeah, it's pretty slow to move around that north flank, but at the same time, by the time Gaz realized that as a player, to turn around a small reserve force he didn't really have a reserve force, but to turn around a little bit of, you know, a little bit of detach, a little bit of a force, turn it northwards, move it up a road, put it back in line formation, and then get ready to either cover or reassault that objective hex. That was like what? Yeah, like a three-turn uh, exercise to get through all that or something. Yeah, like that? Um, where the general was in the south side of Grenadier and line unit, and that's that's the guys that had um, been shaken by fire, so they were sort of just off the line. If they'd have been in the line, I had no chance. So I was quite lucky in that. That sense um and then when i did turn them back they had to cr 
across open ground first, then woods, then onto a road, and I I lost focus at that point. I sent them up the road, which was between the two objectives. What I should have done was carried them going uh, east and then turn north to go up the hill to the objective from behind. And I, I think we worked out that I'd had just made it into the buildings, which would have been a much greater position defensively. Instead, I made it to the bottom of the slope, and it was only a single uh, round of firing from those two units that managed to shake, luckily, uh, the single uh, US unit that had, that had made it up the hill and gone for the objective. So very close. And, yeah, you, I was really focused on my plan of action all the way until that one that sort of broke my concentration and lost my focus and and made a a snap decision instead of a a measured one uh, nearly cost me the game that's what happens when you force the british to abandon their continental linear plan (laughs) and do something american style in other words just chaos (laughs) and uh I mean, we, we laugh, but a, they, a lot of American Revolution battles sort of shook out that way. Yeah. As far as the moving system goes, I can't, because, you know, obviously we are all either in or former uh, military. We've all done our share of what was probably our least favorite part of that whole experience, the close order drill. Um, yeah. So as far as like Gads is talking about, sometimes it's faster. Okay. Say you're all like out on a field op somewhere. You're all in, like a field exercise and you're all in your, you know, fighting halls or whatever. Who knows what you're doing? You're, you're semi-deployed. And all of a sudden, you know, the platoon leader comes over or your first sergeant or whatever. And he says, okay, we're going to head a hundred yards up this, you know, up, up this, through this, through this brush. We're going to set up over there. Is it really worth it to form up on the road, get in column, dress lines, shoulder arms, and, you know, march all the way up the hill and then or wherever you're going, then fall out and then redeploy online. If it's a close distance, just go through it in your regular line formation because it takes a certain amount of time to assume a column formation, then get on the road, haul ass up the road, get to your point, fall off the road, break out of column formation, reassume line and you know pivot toward the new way or toward your new direction. So like to change formations is sometimes better if you're going to be like on the road for a little while. Like if you're going to, you know, hump up the road like you know half a mile or you know 10 miles or who knows what yes definitely get on the road get in the column and you know route step up to wherever it is you're trying to get to but if you're just moving like 50 feet 100 feet or a couple hundred feet just go Mm -hmm. you know everyone knows where the rally point is just get to the next rally point and you know it's actually a little bit faster um even though you're using technically the slower movement rate but because you don't have to change gears so to speak it's fine to just power through so, yeah, that might have been some of it. But, again, there was some woods in the way and woods and roads and the way that all interacts. It's usually better to be in column formation. Um, it's, I don't want to get too into the weeds on it because, again, we don't have the map in front of us. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty much commanders just trying to, get used to the, uh, trying to get used to the movement system and the formation rules and all that stuff. Formation rules aren't usually a thing, definitely in modern warfare and especially back through, like, World War II, even into World War I. Not until you get into black powder stuff, American Civil War, and then extending backwards, uh, does formation become a thing and facing. Units do are now pointing in a certain direction, and that's a little bit of a additional uh, restriction that I think more modern players have to, you know, sort of take uh, in hand. Um, it is restrictive, but if you don't put it in there, it's not going to feel like a black powder game. Yeah. It's going to feel too easy. That so. was the hardest thing for me was the uh, linear movement and the formation and the facing and all that because, you know, I'm used to being able to just run and gun. And uh, it, it, I basically had to rethink everything I knew about, you know, 
warfare uh, to play in that, you know, era. So, it, I mean, that was my biggest stumbling block in the first few turns was just getting my hands and head wrapped around that whole linear warfare thing. Um, it, it was difficult for me because I, I was making movements based upon where I thought they would be instead of where they should have been and how they should have faced. And I know you caught me at that a couple times, Jim, about the facing in that. So, um, yeah, it, it was tough. Um, you know, it... it for somebody who doesn't play that genre a lot, that that is really tough. Um, so you know, and that'll be interesting when we get into Napoleonics and the six mil stuff that I've got uh, playing that up and seeing how that plays out. So, well, yeah, it's probably even more so in Napoleonics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's three basic, uh, really two. American Revolution is almost like an extra one, um, but it's def those kind of linear tactics really go into the two biggest I think areas of black powder gaming. Um, which would be, you know, the American Civil War. By then, the technology is starting to loosen things up a little bit. You've got repeating rifles. You've got, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're still using linear tactics, but the ranges are so much longer by 1860s compared to others that a lot of those linear tactics are already starting to break down a little bit. Um, so by the time you get to the end of the American Civil War, you're looking at like the Siege of Petersburg. You're basically looking at World War One, the prequel. Uh, with all kinds of like, you know, crenulated, like reverse angle trenches and all this other stuff like that. Um, but linear tactics is still definitely a thing, um, even in the American uh, Civil War. And of, of course, like you mentioned, especially Napoleonics. Yeah. Because Napoleonics, it's no crazy, you know, backwoods American, you know, sniping or anything like that going on. It's everyone's using these big, colorful lines, lots of battle flags, drums, flutes, templates. It's true, like, patrician warfare or whatever. Um, as opposed to, you know, either the American Revolution, which is the battles are so much smaller and a lot less formal in a lot of ways. And even on the British side, things started to get a lot less formal. Yeah. Because, uh, again, a lot, of, a lot of the British force over there was was like militia or Tories or loyalists, whatever you want to call them. So even they were using some a little bit of, you know, especially in the South, like crazy, you know, backwoods kind of tactics or the American Rev American Civil War where technology is starting to break things down. You've got better weapons and you've got other things that are really starting to break up linear warfare, battlefield technologies that most people tend to not really think of on the battlefield, things like the telegraph and the railroad uh, really start to break things up. Um, but right smack in the middle there, you've got Napoleonics. And uh, yeah, definitely, it's a huge thing uh, in that genre. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if you guys haven't tried it, definitely give it a, you know, a try in some form. Um, you know, the, I was thinking while you were talking about it is when we did last year in February when I was over in Ireland and we did the uh, recreation, rebattle of Rourke's Drift in 28 mil, I don't remember linear formations being that drastic of a impact on the game, but... In some ways, I think it was. I, I'd have to go back and review it, but um, yeah. So I mean, oh, I, I don't, I don't know if it really would be. Um, yeah. Because again, number one, you're talking about what the 1879. So yeah. we're way past. Uh, we're way past even the American Civil War. Everyone's got breech-loading rifles. Yeah. Um, and uh, even more importantly than the battlefield technology in place is the scale of that game. Yeah. That's like a one to one. You know, one figure is one man. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a unit-based game. So, yeah, there it's it's going to get a lot more fuzzy. I would say that, I mean, I've never tried it personally, but I would say the linear tactics might not be that big of a deal, even a game like Sharp's Practice, which yeah. is right smack dab in the middle of that apex of linear warfare I was just talking about. 
But again, it, it's it's just a scale. It's it, when you get down to WYSIWYG, things break up in such an extent that uh, you know sure. an individual man who knows what he can do. You yeah, know, an individual man may not have a facing. He has a neck that turns. He can see. Um, it's it's mostly a unit based thing. Yeah. That's true. So, Gaz, congratulations. Indeed, sir. Uh, working on the trophy. Get it printed soon. Um, you'll get the sit rep cup handed to you. We'll probably do it at the uh, St. Valentine's Massacre Gaming Weekend. We'll make an official uh, awarding ceremony, if you will. Um, so, in honor of that, and for Jim's favorite general of World War II... We salute you. I will be proud to lead you wonderful guys into battle anytime, anywhere. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You're welcome. I don't hate Pat. (laughs) (laughs) He said he was a good general. He was even a great general. He just wasn't like they depict him in that movie. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, get on that soapbox again. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> oh no that's what this podcast is for for you to get on that soapbox and make us laugh okay, and so if uh, we didn't get on and, the soapbox what would you talk about you know and enlighten us yeah. uh when we yeah, think we know way. things and if you're ever really really bored and you really want to like waste a day or whatever i think it's on youtube it might be somewhere else it's an old and this, this bears to, uh, bears to what we're talking about George C. Scott, obviously after his uh, after his role in Patton later on, he made a made-for-TV miniseries called Mussolini: The Untold Story. It's like eight hours or something. Oh, I remember well, I that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. By the end of that show, Mussolini is a sympathetic character. Stop it. Uh, yeah, I. Ah. Uh. I don't remember I remember seeing I don't remember watching it all the way through so I don't but yeah we'll have to check it out so good old George C. Scott you know, so take that delta between you know the true how we know Mussolini really was and look at how he's portrayed in that movie uh-huh. and apply that same distance uh-huh. back to Patton yeah you, you kind of get an idea of how much of an impact uh having a good Hollywood screenwriter and George C. Scott play you. We should all be so lucky. I mean, rest in peace, George C. Scott, but we need to have someone like George C. Scott play us in our biopics. So history remembers us all correctly or, or <laughs> not correctly. History remembers us all well, way more better, or way, way, way better than we deserve. Uh-huh. I don't have to worry about that. I don't think anybody's going to remember me in history. Oh, no, you're immortalized on our high school wall. Well, that's true. That's true. The Although Wabanti Valley Warriors will... You know, pay yes. homage to me once they are allowed to go back to school. I don't know who you scammed or who you bribed to become the alumni of the year, bullcrap. Uh, that's distinguished alumni. Oh, excuse me. You. Distinguished alumni. <laughs> <laughs> I got a plaque and everything on the wall at school. <laughs> Which was funny because I got it exactly uh, the year after the last teacher that I had at that school retired. Yeah. <laughs> The last that's person what, who was witness that, to the truth. That's what tipped Marty it in. Schaefer. <laughs> it was also my uh, my oldest daughter's uh, senior year. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what are you gonna do? All right, moving on to the, from that great disappointment. Um, uh, do you mean the game or me being distinguished? You alumni? being distinguished alumni. Yeah, well, only you you are disappointed, sir. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yes. What do we got on tap for Tuesday? 
So this Tuesday, we're going to do some Flames of War, in fact. We're going back to the World War II period. Okay. Um, we did the plane the other month. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, this time, we're going to some German, uh, one of the Hanamag 251s. I'm going to do the driver, the gunner, and the, the actual uh, vehicle itself. So there'll be a bit of a mix. So we'll get a bit of infantry painting. It's, it's a smaller scale, so I don't have to I don't have to worry about how long it's going to take me. <laughs> <laughs> if there were 28 mil, it'd be a massively long session. But um, with the infantry being so small, it shouldn't take me too long. And then uh, we're going to go for one of the sort of one of the camo patterns I've used before for the uh, Hanamag itself, uh, using the three colours that were kind of key in the the mid 40s. Okay. And uh, sorry, the mid 40s, the middle of the war in 43. Um, so we're going to go for one of the, the sort of the cream, the brown, and the green. Um, we'll be using the exact colours. Um, I'm I'm really weird on this one, guys. So when it comes to exact colours, it, it kind of frustrates me sometimes when you uh, see people holding it over somebody else, you know, for not being the exact colour scheme. But we all know that. Once you're in theatre, you use what you can. Right. You know, if it's yeah. you use what paint you can get hold of. Um, three days after it's come off the shop floor, it's going to be scored. It's going to be scratched. Never mind a few months in of some bleached, and you know it's going to start to fade and change. So I'm a I'm a big believer in unless my unit is something that's rolled out the factory, I like to sort of play around and paint individual models so that mm-hmm. the colours don't quite match. Um, to show that there's there's been different lives of each machine, you know. It's, well, sure. I don't know if that's because I work mechanically on stuff and I, I see it on a daily basis. If I if I get an aircraft that's just come out of depth maintenance, they've sprayed it. It looks beautiful. If I compare that to the grey one that's next to it, that should look <laughs> black. It's, you know, they're not even comparable from color scheme. Right. Um, right. Well, you know, the color, so, scheme, yeah. the color scheme that you're talking about is, um, yeah. Like, like like the sun the, the sunflower yellow or whatever yeah. and then yeah so that's um yeah 42 into 43 by 44 they kind of fit yeah so you like to say mid-war yeah. and uh during those time periods you're talking about okay mostly north africa and a little bit in sicily but not much or whatever spoiler alert the this the, the pattern you're talking about is almost all in russia and the reason it's sunflower yellow is because the sunflowers fields that were just endless, this, you know, that, that steppe yellow um, in southern Russia where the sun is a thing. Um, yeah, that that color scheme is going to get desaturated in the field awfully fast. Um, again, because it's, it's under that southern Russian sun, which was nothing to mess with um, in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, you see photographs of, like, they just basically took a bucket of white paint and just threw it on the vehicle. Um, it's a horrible paint job. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's my long-winded thing. I totally agree. So there's – well, I think what causes a lot of people to kind of say what you're talking about besides general, you know, feigned superiority or whatever is people tend to look at, you know, old World War II photographs coming out of Germany to see how they paint their, their German vehicles. Um Actually, there's three things. I'll get into the third one in just a second. But the first one are like the propaganda photos that the Third Reich would put out there. They're nice. They're big. They're glossy. Um, and the vehicles look brand new because they just came off the parade field or whatever. I think too many people look at those. You look at field photos, and you can tell the difference you know, really quickly. And, yeah, I, I dare you to find me two vehicles that look exactly the same paint scheme-wise. Um, 
I, I've seen some of my favorite paint jobs, like those big Schutzen panels you have on the side of the tanks. Yeah. You'll have one, two, three, and then the fourth one will just be completely unpainted or will be painted in like that old, um, a completely different color scheme. Like have the 44, you know, P soup kind of a, of a, of a or P dot, whatever they used to call it. Yeah. You know, where it's like it got replaced like halfway through, halfway through a campaign or something. Oh, red the, primer because it changed the metal. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah, that, you know, that, that, that's an old trick that I've seen, that, that, that rust red that you see in a lot of vehicles. And uh, the third thing, so that's the first two. And then the third one is, yeah, um, just people painting this stuff over and over again. I mean, like paintings in books or on websites or in, you know, video slides or whatever, where, like, I have a book, I have a great book called, you know, All the German Panzer Divisions in World War II. Where they take, it's like 20 chapters for the 20 main Panzer Divisions. And it's like, here's how this regiment looked in 39. Here's how it looked in 40. Here's how it looked in 41. And by the time you get to the end of first Panzer Division, you're on page 50 of the book and you've got 19 more Panzer Divisions to go. Um, And all the painting there is accurate. It's just brand new. It's like, this is how these vehicles looked like when they were cherry. And I think there's so much of that material out there that that's what most painters are going for. It's what I go for. I've actually taken hits on my... uh, on my uh, painting because it's like oh my god did that guy just get out of the parade field did he just come off formation did he just got out of the factory I'm like yeah I like my tanks big bold colorful or whatever you know I I can't stand slapping a bunch of mud on the tracks afterwards you know all my tracks are brand new black and steel and you know and I know that's not realistic that's just how I like to paint them um, so I almost have the opposite problem uh, my markings are brand new you can see the bright white of the Balkan crosses and all that stuff like that um but, uh, yeah, the realistic way is what you're talking about, um, especially in the bigger scales. It should it should definitely be, you know, beat up in non-uniform. Absolutely. And besides, you had 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old guys in combat driving vehicles they don't own. Yeah. So <laughs> they are going to do whatever they want with those car, you know, vehicles. So think it can knock down that tree? Because <laughs> you go. know there was boredom at times, and you're going, hmm, can we knock that tree down? Can we go through that building? Let's try. Well, yeah, will it go over this car? <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, as a reminder, we are recording this in real time. So, um, when we say this Tuesday, we're literally meaning this coming Tuesday because this will go out this afternoon after we're done recording this. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And then this past Tuesday, Chris, our um, social media guy, has put out a new video on uh, Battlefield. Um, so make sure you guys check that one out. He does basically every other Tuesday. So Gaz does one Tuesday. Chris is doing the other opposite Tuesday. So, And then um, this past Thursday... I did uh, the general show, and we uh, worked on the board. That's right. Um, so it's starting to come together. Uh, I got the sculpt mold down on three of the four fields. Um, the walls are up. Yep. So Marty has a uh, bunker that here that we're going to use as the barracks. Guard barracks, yep. And then you got your vineyards, which look really good. So uh, we will be ready by September. Yes. No doubt about it. Yes. So. It's come along, and then next Sunday, next Sunday, we are doing the first run of the transit game. So, first play test. So yeah, um, the the last bit of rules I was kind of wrestling with there was how to handle vehicles. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's the there's the obvious way, but the obvious way is going to be kind of a pain. 
So, uh, yeah, I found a way around that. I just have to literally like put that chart in the, in the table. Um, the pieces are already made for it. I got to make a few more pieces for civilians and roadblocks and stuff like that. Um, I got a week left to get that fixed. And, um, yeah, again, it's going to be, it's going to be a literally like pre, pre, pre alpha. It's going to be the first time dice have hit the table on this game. Um, expect a lot of, uh, I don't want to say problems, but expect a lot of questions, expect a lot of answers to questions, changing the tables literally in the middle of the game. It's going to be like, you know, a true okay. play test, Excellent. which is why we're starting it like this early. We're, our, our, our finish date for that is I think the 5th of September because we wanted to run that game for real, like one week before the, uh, I think we said uh, one week before the actual miniatures game. Right. Yep. The, the miniatures game we're aiming for the 12th of September. All right, cool. So like one week before that would be the 5th. Yep. So that's So I want to have at least a couple of weeks for a play testing fixes and then play test the fixes. Uh, one, one or two rounds, that should be enough. Yep. Uh, so that by September 5th, we have a, we have a pretty viable, you know, product ready to go. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I, we're really looking forward to it. So you guys out there listening, make sure you join us. Uh, for we're I'm assuming we're live streaming that. Um, oh yeah. So people can help with input and suggestions <laughs> and everything on uh, our play test. And if you're interested to see the process, you know how does the sausage get made? Yep. This is a good chance to see it. There you go. And oh yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's not going to be a smooth stream. Yeah. It's going to be no. like oh yeah, how does this work again? Ah oh, god. Okay, hold but, on. But they're getting yeah, to see the creation process. <laughs> you're getting to see the totally. pro- the creation process and the starting uh, fine-tuning the process and sharpening the edge. I mean, you know, it, it's that whole process. Yeah. So, you know, I think what it does is it really shows people that a good game or, a, you know, a good game or any game for that matter, well, it depends. I mean, I know some Atari games that really suck and they must, must have been thrown together overnight. But, I mean, and a good war game, um, is a is a long drawn out process. It's not an overnight. You know, hey, I got an idea. Let's draw this out, and this is the rules, and go play. So you know, so it, it, to be playable and to be good, there's a lot of ups and downs, and you know, oh, I like that. No, that doesn't work. You know, scratch that. Hey, let's add this. So yeah. So like I, you know, I'm I'm the noob of the group, and you know, I have my my small pool of experience with uh with war gaming, and uh you know, I'm I'm kind of you know, I look at it uh, as I'm kind of spoiled where I've come in and I use well-known, established uh, rule sets. So I know what those are, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I play a lot of modern uh, skirmish games. So Sanguine, Spectre, Contact Front, stuff like that. Okay, so these are all well-developed uh, rule sets and have been well-known. Some of them are multiple versions, you know, Spectre's on version 2, Sanguine's going into version 2. Contact Front keeps pushing uh, stuff out and then uh, adding rules as they uh, add scenarios and change time frames a little bit. Uh, but to start from scratch, right? You know, and now it's, you know, I'm not taking the Spectre rule set and just, you know, setting up a scenario for it. Not, now it's our game and we have to figure out, you know, how is this going to work? I mean, yeah. that's that's a process. And on top of that, Jim has the extra pressure. I mean, we all do to some aspect, but because he's creating this game, he has the extra pressure of it has to be conscious of the real world events that it's based on. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be respectful to, you know, what happened. 
You know, you can't just say, well, everybody had, uh, you know, chain guns and just walked down the street and terminated everybody, you know, and stuff like that. You got to make it playable. It got to be fun, but also it has to be respectful to the actual events and, you know, what happened the, that weekend or those two days. Which is why I was told I don't get a drone. Yeah. That's BS. No drone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is a bit of a constraint sometimes, but sometimes it can also, if you use it the right way, and I, again, this is going to sound bad, but um, it, it's almost a crutch. Um, it's almost like, a, you know what? We don't have to invent the wheel totally. This has literally already happened in real life. Let's just try to, you know, have it, you know, happen or whatever. As far as playtesting, like historical games go that are trying to recreate a specific historical event, um, the methodology is once you get your first couple drafts done and you're ready and you think you're ready to go, okay, take your hands off the game system. You're not trying to steer it with fake dice rolls or anything else like that. Just run the game and make all the exact same decisions that the historical people made. You know, we're going to run this game. I'll probably do this game a couple times just solitaire just to see and make sure the turn sequence works. Right? Uh-huh. And just always do, I'll take the exact route that the GRS operators took that day or that night. You know, don't try any of the other routes. Just take that exact route, have the exact number of militia show up that, I, you know, that kind of did, or at least as far as we can tell from the historical record or whatever. And so on and so forth. Pretty much just reenact the battle a couple times. Um, again, you, you kind of do that either solitaire or as part of your playtesting. And, you know, without fudging any die rolls or whatever, if the if the game will usually produce the historical result or something close to a historical result, then you know you've got a good engine. So, yeah, set up the game and just do everything that the player, that the uh, actual historical people did. And if you usually wind up at the same place that they did, there's going to be weird games where, oh, the Libyans rolled a bunch of sixes, the GRS guys rolled a bunch of ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you you, you kind of sort out those, those, those outliers. But if most of your, um, like when you're plotting where a hurricane goes, you know, you, you, and they show you that big spaghetti map of all the places it could go, but most of them are kind of in the middle. You can kind of see where most of the shotgun pattern really is. Yeah. And if that kind of is where it was historically, then you know you've got a good engine. Now you can kind of take the training wheels off and say, okay, how about it? What, what would have happened if they'd gone this way or that way? And that's where it becomes, this is going to sound a little grandiose here, but that's where the game almost becomes something like a thought experiment. Where it's like, oh, what if Lee had listened to Longstreet on the second day of Gettysburg? What mm-hmm. would have happened if the Marines landed on Tarawa on the original beaches instead of on the other beaches? What would have happened if? What would have happened if? Yeah, right. Yeah, and now because you've got – I mean, you'll never really know, obviously, and it is just a game at the end. But now that you've sort of proven to yourself that you've got a pretty robust um, model for simulating how things work in whatever battlefield that you're trying to emulate to a certain degree – um, yeah, when you try different things, you can, I mean, I wouldn't take it to court, but you know, you can be a little, uh, you can be a little confident in your results. Yeah. Right. Like right. Alternate history kind of thing. Most definitely. And, um, so Gaz is going to be playing the baddies as we like to refer yep. to them. And we're going to be playing the GRS operators. Yep. And, uh, you know, Gaz, we're going to kick your butt. Well, I hope so, because otherwise you'll have your second game and you'll build a table for nothing. <laughs> you know, that, I just, I, 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 I. Uh, you know what, Gaz? It's never for nothing, Gaz. No, you don't no, scare me! Nothing. That's right, you don't <laughs> scare us. <laughs> what is no, your I'm major malfunction, well. numb nuts? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you two will have to play out the main game yourselves, because obviously that would be much more difficult to do remotely. 
um, when it comes to actually taking the uh, – I'm going after the diplomat. Yeah. Well, we'll figure it out. So – yeah, that, that brings up a quick point. Uh, this whole transit game, we've been talking a lot about it. At the end of the day, it's really just a mini game. And at the end of the day, all it really is fundamentally is a very uh, flowery and over-engineered way of setting up the victory conditions. Or actually, not even the victory conditions, the start conditions. Start conditions, it, yes, yeah. Of the main, yeah, yep. of the main 28 millimeter game you guys are doing up there in Chicago. Man, I tell a you what. A successful run-through of, uh, of the transit game should take maybe half an hour. Um, which is why we're going to do it like 10 times or whatever <laughs> you know, to make sure we have a good system going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be, okay. They, they started off here at the CIA annex. They're trying to get to the, amb- the ambassador's compound and, um, a, how many of them make it? Yep. I think historically they all made it. Yep. Um, B, what condition they made it in? Are any of them wounded? And most importantly, C, how long it took them. Yeah. So that that sort of determines in what stage of progress, uh, the unrest is at the actual ambassador compound. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how we do that because you're right. that it's, it's total setup for the starting conditions of the miniatures game on the actual, uh, you know, entering the compound. You know, is the ambassador's residence on fire by the time we get there like it is in, you know, real life? Is the ambassador lost in the, you know, compound there in the fire and they couldn't get them? And, you know, so all those conditions will be set up and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, because theoretically if we get to the compound we're down to two guys that can make things very very ugly yeah. so um you, you know. know or you know if the uh 13 february guys aren't uh aren't doing their thing yeah so well they didn't do much yeah. anyway so honestly yeah but if they are not there if they have decided to go against us yeah you know i mean so. that that will yeah, it will affect what yeah, the other bad guys do. Yeah, it will. You know, that's definitely a big part of the transit game. Is um, the GRS has the ability to influence? Of course, the dice roll will make a big difference. Also, um, the Libyan insurgent player will be counteracting these efforts, but it will be somewhat within the GRS's power to keep the streets calm and sort of recruit along the way. So, I mean, if the game turns into a runaway victory, not only does the GRS show up there on time with both vehicles and all six operators, but they might show up with a friggin' half platoon of, uh, you know, friendly militia at their backs, too. I mean, I don't yeah. know if that's likely, but it's possible. Yeah. Or they might show up there alone, or they might be like one guy left. I mean, we're, 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 look, we're looking at a range of possible arrival states. Yep. Uh, at yeah. the, at the or, or if Mo, our translator, is Smoked. injured or, or killed. Yeah. You know, not, now you may not be able to communicate effectively with them, and uh, you know th- that may be something that uh, slows us down or prevents us from uh, gaining their assistance. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, the, the translator is in the game, and he's pretty much um, he's in there as a as a character, so you don't want to get him killed. He's he is vulnerable, but yeah. um, he he's also like a, a pretty big modifier on how well those um, people based skills uh people-based roles go as far as the bob on the street um obviously without the without the uh without the translator not to give guys any hints here but without the uh without the translator they're gonna have a lot harder time keeping ambivalent militia basically looters ambivalent militia ambivalent turning them into friendlies or keeping the ambivalent from descending into hostile so that yeah the militia is going to be in three different states flexible states uh, that's what's going to be kind of the weirdest thing about this game is the complete lack of control uh, of the um, of the Libyan force. Well, that's going to be a big obstacle that Gannis has to overcome. Is he's going to be a, a commander that's not in command of his troops? 
because they might desert. They might start looting instead of doing what he tells them to. They may turn into February 13th guys out of nowhere. You know, who knows yeah. what's going to happen. It's, you are a militia commander. Welcome to disorganized warfare. It's going to feel very disorganized. Right. I think it, I think it's going to be a really good time, and I can't wait. So, yeah. All right. Upcoming projects. Jim, what do you got going on this weekend for gaming? Oh, man, many things. Uh, so, let's see here. Uh, what I've got going on this week coming forward is pretty much a continuation of what was going on last week. So, there's a few things. Number one, I spent three days in a monster Panzer Blitz game uh, with uh, Piotr, where we sat down and we recreated um, the Battle of Studiansky in uh in Poland, central Poland, along the Vistula River in July, I'm sorry, August of 1944. So we didn't broadcast that um, because it was like two seven-hour sessions or something like that uh, to kind of get to to finish designing the scenario and then to go ahead and and play through the game. So, yeah, it's it's a big game. Now, what I did is we came back on the third day and we recorded sort of a um, a commander's review where we kind of looked over the battlefield and discussed each turn, uh, you know, what we did, how things worked, what we had in our, in our mind, what we had on our plates. Kind of like the discussion we just had um, with, the, with the Battlefield Revolution game, we did this with Panzer Leader with the Panzer Blitz map sort of laid out in front of us or whatever. So I've got that in the can. I have to edit it and smooth it out, put some, put some jazz on it or whatever. It's probably going to be a two-parter coming out sometime during the next couple of weeks uh, nice. once again, you know, everything gets kind of put through the can. So that's up there. We have a... Um, the other thing that we did last week was we rolled out for the first time Letters of Mark, which is our Age of Piracy game. Yeah. Or one of a whole bunch of Age of Piracy games I'm sure we're going to be looking at. So Letters of Mark, uh, we did a play test with Jen on Saturday night. We did a full game with Gaz and um, Rasmus on Sunday afternoon. Um, both of those games went really, really well. The British did win both of them. So the British are on something of a roll uh, recently. <laughs> um <laughs> The pirates can't beat them, and the rebels can't beat them. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, yeah, so I have uh, that stream finally did update in YouTube. So if anyone checked it out on YouTube and it looked a little jagged, uh, I do apologize. It took three days for for uh, YouTube to finally process that video. Wow. Um, it is it is finally up again. It's like a three and a half hour video. I took that four hour game. The original stream was four hours. I cooked it down to forty one minutes. Um, with a very rough edit. So I might go ahead and paste or uh, uh, upload a, uh, like a highlights of, again, a little bit later in the week. Uh, tomorrow, we are doing another game of um, Letters of Mark, which is, you know, the same, you know, naval pirate game that we were talking about a second ago. We're taking, or Erasmus, we're going to another live game um, tomorrow on Sunday. So that's coming out live. Um, we definitely know the rules a lot better now. It's a very light game. It's a very simple game. So it's no, you know, no huge challenge. It's not Panzer Leader out, out in the open ocean. It's like, wow, it's really simple. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's very light. Um, again, because this is going out right away, uh, if anybody wants in on that game, you know, reach out to me on YouTube. Uh, throw a comment in this video and I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get you guys hooked up. Of course, it also goes out to the team if anybody wants a, wants in on that. Um. All you got to do is, you know, call us on Skype. I can put you in the game. Nice. And uh, so that's going out uh, tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's a busy period. And, uh, yeah, Op Center episode number 14 is now what? in the camp. What? Op Center? Yeah. It's back? Holy moly. Yeah. 
uh, op center. It's like it's like an '80s slasher monster. You know, just when you think it's dead, it kind of sits back up again and picks up its axe and comes at you one more time. That needs a um, special shout out. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> op center's back. So, awesome. Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah, uh, it's kind of labor intensive, but that's okay. Uh, that's kind of the reason why we kind of stepped back from it for a while. Uh, but we're coming back into it. So we've had a full series on Arab Israeli Wars, on the Falklands, and on Vietnam. Those are the first 12 episodes. And then uh, for the 13th episode, we kind of had this weird one where it was just, you know, I wanted to do something for the 75th anniversary of Iwo Jima. Obviously, this would have been back in February. Um and then again, virus happened and everything else. So it's been a really weird summer, guys. I'm sure everyone you know can, can kind of relate to that. Uh, but I am trying to get back into it. And one of the things I did want to do was to number one, not have a playlist with 13. Call me superstitious if you want. <laughs> but also, yeah, we have three complete series, and then we have like this one, you know, kind of you know half-ass kind of add-on that's kind of like hanging off the side there. So that seemed weird to me. Call me a completionist. We're gonna do three more episodes. Uh, we're going to have the Pacific theme, and then we're going to have a four series or four episode series on on the Pacific, um, as far as you know, season four or whatever you want to call so it. So we have seven episodes coming up in the future. Did I count uh, that right? No, we have we, we have at least three. Okay, three. So we have yeah, the first twelve were the first three. Yep. It was usually four episodes per season. Right. Then we had the thirteenth one on Iwo Jima. Okay. So we're going to make fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen gotcha. to sort of close out what would be an unofficial season four. Nice. Series four. Nice. And obviously, Iwo Jima's in the Pacific, so we're going to do three more episodes on the Pacific. Nice. Very nice. Uh, First one's done it in the can. I'm not sure when it's going to go out. We'll just look for a nice spot in the schedule. And, uh, you know, we also want to put it up on all of our platforms. I have to send it to some other people. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, we just have to do two more after that. So, again, these do take a while. Um, This one wound up at a total clock time of about 18 hours. Uh, wow. For what's basically a 15-minute video, uh, but that includes research and writing the script and all that stuff like that. Um, so yeah, when parts 15 and 16 will be coming out, that'll be a little bit down the road, uh, probably sometime in September. Uh, but we are going to do it, and we are going to finish uh, series four of the Op Center. Nice, sure. excellent. Most definitely and looking forward for to that. Series, for series five. I don't, I don't want to promise this yet, but what I kind of want to do, and this was another thing that kind of what got me back into Op Center, is um, the uh, 30th anniversary of Gulf War One is coming around the corner. Yeah. In fact, we've already we've already passed August 2nd. Yep. Um, yeah. August 2nd was the 30th anniversary of the initial Kuwait invasion. Um, and I've always wanted to do, um, I've always wanted to do something on the Gulf War. So with the 30th anniversary coming up for real in January and February, uh, January, if you count the, uh, the the air war and also the Marines at El Kafji, and then of course February starts the main ground war. Um, yeah, I want to have the Pacific stuff done and out of the way before I, you know, start to realign towards the Gulf War later on in the year. I can't believe it's been thirty years. Yeah, right. I know it's pretty. <laughs> it's enough to make you feel old, isn't it? Yeah, right. It is for me. That's for sure. Yeah. Wow, thirty years. I, I remember when the uh, when the ground war kicked off. I was uh, stationed in uh, Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, and we had just come in from the field. We were on the wash rack, and it was on the the radio. We had it cranked up over the uh, PA system, and we were listening to the news reports as we uh, recovered our vehicles. Yep. Wow, thirty years. Woo. <laughs> 
you know, before long, we're going to be that old group that, uh, you know, there's only so many people left from Gulf War One. You know how they, you know, every day you lose so many World War Two vets and all that stuff. So, right. Oh man, thirty years. All right. Well, it sounds like you got a lot on your plate. Gas. Oh, yeah. What do you got coming up? So I pulled the trigger at the weekend. I've just gone um, to pick up some blood and plunder, and I've picked up the English box set to start with. Okay. Um, I'm going to use them for the Tuesday night. Nice. So pushing towards the uh, the pirate theme that we're doing. Uh-huh. Um, it's a really nice little box set. There's four different unit types in there, and a, like a, a leader character or a, a oh, you know a form of captain. So um, it should give us um, probably four or five episodes of pirate stuff. Whether we do them back to back or space them out, well, you know that was a decision for another day. Yeah. But um, even get the forlorn hope, which are the guys with the pistols and the knives in their teeth. You know they're doing the uh, the swinging across. Those swashbuckling thing. Clear a hole. Yeah. Yeah. So and then you get your sort of your line militia. You know your your actual uh, the riflemen that would be on board the, the type of marines and such. So yeah, there's a, there's a nice mix. But as, as you go through the different nations, you know the miniatures vary lovely. You know there's there's a real clean separation between the Spanish, the French, the English, etc. Yeah. Um, so you can you can definitely see the certain units that are taken that um, correspond with each nation. So really nice model range. Looking forward to getting stuck into that. We might be doing some more from the other nations in preparation for February, Mm -hmm. for the Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, But uh, we'll make that decision on another day. So to start with, yeah, we'll get some of the, uh, well, the English, of course. course. Uh, It's this side of the pond. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. Um, other than that, um, you know, seventeen hundreds and eighteen hundreds, the the British are almost like the Germans in World War II. It's like, what front do you want to do want to play on? Well, you have to start off with some Germans, okay? But we're going to do Italy and Sicily. Well, you need some Germans, okay? Let's do Russia. You need some Germans. You need Germans in France. You need Germans in Scandinavia. You need Germans in North Africa. If you're going to do World War II. Unless you're in the Pacific, you're going to need some Germans sooner rather than later. So, yeah, all these wars in the 1700s, 1800s, Napoleonics, American Revolution, piracy, English Civil War, I guess we're now back in the 1600s. Yeah, sooner or later, you're going to need some British probably or English, probably sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it was it was an easy buy for me just because it's, it's something that I can put into my own collection um, and use this, uh, use the gaming as well. So, um yeah, it was um, something I wanted to paint up. They, they do have quite um, a variety of color schemes. Uh, one thing I've not done much of yet is research. So that's going to be uh, some some a learning curve for me. Uh, go out and find some. Um, I've already found some related to the, the sort of the pastel color schemes that are used for different nations based on how they dyed their cloths. Um, so it's just a case of distilling it down into which nation used what and picking the ones that will give a very clear visual, so easily recognizable when you've got models on the table. Uh, makes it stand out a little bit. makes it a bit easier. Nice. I've done, yeah, I've done uh, very little research, but the little bit I have done uh, shows that it seems like at least for some of these nations, I don't know if this is true for all of them, um, yeah, you can look up like what that nation, like what their Marines or their sailors might have looked like or whatever at a given time period. Uh-huh. However, especially with like infantry troops, um, like Spanish infantry, for instance, they seem to have like a different uniform than like their main continental armies or whatever, um, at least in the Caribbean, almost like a tropical version of the uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, There's a lot of just thrown together stuff as well, you know, as in oh, people wearing what they had and no form of uniform with a, with a, a lot of these crews. So it's really not, I think it'd be more about finding a color to tie them in, you know, a red bandana, a red, um, sash you know, a sash around yeah. the waist, a red stringer off the end of the sword, you know, just to, just so you can pick out okay, there's a common theme of red through all of them. And then for, say, the Spanish, it could be an orange or a, a pale yellow or something. Just just that type of thing. So I think it just helps for, for gameplay. You know, when you're, when you're having to stand there for a few seconds and work out which models are yours and which one's your enemies, it, it takes some of the immersion out of the game. So having sort of clearly defined uh, color tags for, for the forces really helps. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... Speaking of Blood and Plunder, uh, you know they have a Kickstarter coming up in October. Uh, they got a couple of announcements. The first one, Jim, you might spark your interest a little bit. They've got a new expansion book coming out called Queen Anne's War. Uh, yep. yep, they're moving into the 18th century expansion, new units, factions with a focus on active powers during the first two French and Indian Wars, King William's War and Queen Anne's War. Mixed European and Native American raiding parties. The last of the Buccaneers and regular army units for all the European factions are just some of the exciting additions you can expect. So that's the expansion book coming out. And then the Kickstarter is going to be called Raise the Black. Uh, this is actually going to be a Kickstarter to bring out plastic multi-piece miniatures. And the previews on that are awesome. Yeah, so I mean, there'll be, you know, they right now they're metal. Um, but they're going to multi-part min uh, plastic miniatures, which is anybody who's been in the miniature business knows is extremely expensive uh, to get plastics going. Um, you know, so Gaz, your minis were resin or were they metal? Uh, the ones I've ordered are metals. Yeah. So they're, they're the actual starter box set for the nationality that I chose. Uh -huh. um, I've had a look at the multi-part minis that they've shown as the run-up for the October 6th release. Uh -huh. And um, they're really, really nice. They've uh -huh. got, I think it's, um, the arms has come separate, the head comes separate. Yeah. So with even a basic box set, I think they said you can do 60, 70 different um, individuals as such by chopping and changing the arms, the guns, the pistols, the sword. So between weapons, heads, and arms, you can you can literally make up a force you probably couldn't even use in the game because it'd be too large for any normal game. Yeah. Uh, so having that option, multi-part plastics I really like for that reason. Yeah. A lot less work, a lot more individuality amongst all the uh, all the, your your crew. Yeah. So um, another part of this Kickstarter is they're going to have a two-player starter set. Uh, the starter set will be themed around Blackbeard's last battle with the Royal Navy Lieutenant Robert Manyard, uh, Pirates versus the Royal Navy. So they're having a new uh, starter set coming out. Yeah, and they've already got, uh, for their current edition, uh, a two-player uh, starter set. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that's the, the way to go. It, it definitely is the way to go. I mean... You have to get a starter set to get people in. That's why it's nice to see, like, Spectre Miniatures doing a, finally doing a starter set. You know, it's nothing fancy. It's two boxes of miniatures and a book. You know, I mean, some starter sets you get, you know, templates and things like that. I mean, it is what it is. At least by having a starter set. But you got to have two. two. You, you got, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, you you gotta you. Unfortunately, if you want to get the the game rolling, somebody has to bite the bullet and get both forces, and then drag their buddy over and say, "You're playing these guys." Right. Or take turns playing the different ones, see which one you yeah. like. You know, right? So, I, but if it's just, well, I get a starter army and a book. And Who now, are you playing against? Yeah, yeah now I got to now I got to find a guy that's already playing this right. game and isn't playing the same force that I have because we both have the starter set. Right. And you got to be excited about the game. I mean, if you don't like the game, you don't like the game, but let me uh, tell you a quick story. So, uh, we used to have a, a local game store uh, near us. And uh, it was a great store. You know, I'm not going to mention any names because I, I don't want anybody's feelings hurt. But, it, I mean, when it opened, when we walked in there the first time, they were, you know, it was bright. It was clean. It looked great. The staff were really friendly. They welcomed you in and say, hey, what are you interested in? Have you thought about this? You know, I mean, they took the time to get to know you. And it was great. As a couple of years went on, every time a new product came out, so I'm going to use... Um, uh, what's the Western steampunk game? Um, Gaz, help me on this. Wild West Exodus. Yes, Wild West Exodus. When Wild West Exodus came out, I was all in because, you know, it's White Earp and all that, and I'm a huge Western person. And so, like, I'm like, I'll give it a try, you know. And um, I know Romeo, um, you know, from um, the Hex the Bag company um, that made the game. Uh, Wild West Exodus was made as an offshoot from the uh, the, the guys that make the bags. Um, what, like Battle Foam? Yeah, Battle Foam, Romeo. Um, originally, that company was owned by Romeo and Battle Foam. It was a, a Kickstarter company they did. Oh. Um, so I was like, I know Romeo, so I'm going to give it a shot, right? And then things started going downhill. So we, we invested a lot of money into the... The initial two-player starter set, and to be honest with you, it turned out not to be my thing because it was too steampunky for me. It was really a stretch on the western end. So for me, I mean, the the um, Native American miniatures are incredible. They are top notch. The uh, Wyatt Earp, the Lawmen, there was too much steampunk robotic crap in it for me. All right, but I mean, it was still a game. A lot of people, uh, this game store, got into playing it. A couple of weeks later, we walk back in, you know, I'm like getting some paint and stuff to finish up some of my miniatures. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to bring my stuff in. We'll play a game with you guys. Uh, we broke the game, so we don't play anymore. You know, it's junk. And and I'm looking at him going, dude, you just convinced a whole bunch of people to spend a whole bunch of money in your store. And you're coming back and telling people, uh, you know, uh, we broke it. The rules are broken, you know, and we're just not playing right, it. Right. What's up with that? You know, so and he used to do this for almost every game. He used to have a... Um, War Games Club that used to come in on either Saturday or Sunday and play Battlefront, you know, uh, Flames of War every weekend. He alienated them, you know, by down talking stuff. You don't do that. I mean, you don't have a, that's not a good business model. So even if you don't like a game, don't talk it down. Say, you know, what it is you're concerned about or what you can do. I mean, there are people out there that are still going to like the game, right? You know, it, it does nothing to trash a game. I mean, there are a couple of games I can think off the top of my head that I would love to just rip apart. Uh, well, one we can because the company no longer exists, but Gollum Arcana. Ask Dawn about Gollum Arcana. She, I, she doesn't use the word hate at all, ever. And she will tell you flat out, I hate this game. It's the dumbest game ever. So, um, you know, 
So, what, the especially pro- if you're in charge of a gaming store, yeah, and yeah. probably half of your money comes from people coming in to play your game. Right. Yeah, your job or, is to sell more of them. Yeah. Right. Well, let's just say that store no longer exists. So, uh, I, yeah. I think you know by the end, the owner, the owner said it was due to the economy, but this was before the you know coronavirus and all this. This was a couple of years ago when they closed. Yeah. I think he just got burned out. You know, sometimes you just get burned out, and it's not fun anymore. You know, when you open something like that. It's like, oh, I'm going to have so much fun. We're going to be playing games and doing this and that. And then the business reality sets in. And it's not so much about playing the games as it is trying to survive and, you know, compete in a market. So, you know. And I ran into him at Polar Vortex, one of our smaller local gaming conventions, uh, at the end of last January. And just kind of bitter and has anger management issues. (laughs) You know, again, we're not trying to slam anybody, but what, what we're trying to say is be positive. Even in, even in something that may not be your cup of tea, there's got to be a positive aspect. I mean, thinking about Wild West Exodus, even though it wasn't my flavor of a Western genre, you know, the steampunk thing got a little too much for me. There were still parts of it that were really good. Uh, the book I thought was really laid out nice. The miniatures are actually top quality. They really were. And this is before um, War Cradle took over. Um so, you know, it, it had a following. It, it was good. And like I said, the Native American miniatures were top notch. They were just really good. You could use them in other games. I think the scale's a little off. I think it's 32 mil, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, 35, I think they are. Was they 35? Yeah, they were slightly overscaled. Well, yeah. They were- considerably overscale for 28. And, and I think that was because of the time they needed that extra scale to get the detail that you're talking about. Yeah, and right. I mean, so, I mean, and Gaz can attest to it, creating a game and marketing a game and keeping it alive, it's a lot of work. I mean, it, it takes yeah. all your time and energy, and I, I'm going to be the first to say Gaz had a product that Don and I really liked, and we're taking our friendship with Gaz out of this. This is kind of how we met Gaz. We met Gaz at, what was yeah. it, Salute? wasn't it? Salute. Yeah. Yeah, um, salute. Uh, when you were there promoting your game. Um, yeah. And we actually had one miniature that year. We'd, we'd got the baseline for the rules and some examples of the stat cards. We had a, a theory behind the game, Mythos uh, 3.0 miniatures. There yeah. was five of us in the team at that point. Uh, we'd already been doing it for a year and probably about 14 months at that point. Invested a fair few thousand in sculpts and designs ready for the Kickstarter. So yeah, we, we went through all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and it was a great game and it's a great product. We still have our, our starter set, you know, from the Kickstarter and, you know, we fully supported them as much as we could. You guys had the right pieces in play. Um, I, I think it just came down to capital and, and marketing. Um, you know, it, yeah, PR, just PR is yeah. very difficult in the, in the in the current market with so many strong games as well. Yeah, so I mean, you know, so word of mouth definitely helps, and you know, and so the point is, there are so many good games out there, and there are some okay games, and there's a few that are eh, questionable. Um, but everybody's gonna like them. You know, I know people who liked Gollum Arcana. You know, it, it, it. They liked it. There's something for everybody. There's something for everybody. So it, it never pays to down talk something like Warhammer 40k. Eh. You know, I, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, but to be honest with you, I've never tr- truly played a full game of it. So I don't know. Maybe I would like. I I have the Tau starter sets. I have what is the eighth edition starter set? Um, because when I was covering. Um, uh, UK Games Expo, the year that 8th edition was released, 
I was talk I was hanging out with the guys from GW um, and they really talked it up and got me excited. I'm like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And it's still sitting in the box right now. You know, and I, they're I know on someday. ninth edition. And now they're on well, ninth I mean, edition. I was gonna say, uh, 40k would almost be like the exception to that rule, like never talk trash about another person's game or whatever, because most of the true hate that you see uh, for 40k, at least in the forums I go to, are from people who like and play 40k. Yeah, it's like, oh, look what they broke this time or whatever. They're from, they're not from outsiders. Um, you know, it sounds like you know you and definitely myself. You know, people who don't really play 40k, it's from people within that community. But I, I will say this, and I do have a sliver of experience with this. If you're in charge of a gaming store, either an owner or you just work there, and you have a big crowd of people that come in every weekend to play, set up a huge 40k table and play 40k, you don't talk trash about 40k because right. those people are buying coffee and soda and snacks yep. and chips and you know and when people see a big crowd, a, a new customer comes in your store that's never been there before and it's dead. There's nobody there. They're going to look at a couple things, non-politely at the cashier and walk out again. If they go in there and there's a lot of noise coming from the back of the store and there's people throwing dice and, you know, talking trash and, you know, there's a big game going on, they're going to, even if 40K isn't their thing either, they're going to be into it. Yeah. Way back in 1990, 91, I was one of five Marines who, uh, we were like 20 years old at the time. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, talk about 30 year anniversaries. Uh, we rented a tiny little space. I think it used to be like a Vietnamese nail salon or something along Highway 21 and we opened up a tiny little gaming store and we actually made a go at running our own gaming store and we didn't know what the hell we were out of business in like six months because <laughs> again five 20 year olds we each put in like 2,000 bucks which was you know a lot of not money, even back, a lot of money yeah. back in those days yeah and we said ah oh, let's give it a shot and this is like before the internet was really a thing and people we would come in to buy stuff out of our catalogs and we would just order it and not even take their money until the product came in. And then by then they didn't want the product and now we're stuck with something we can't sell. And we had baseball cards. We had, But anyway, the, so we didn't know what the hell we were doing. But what kept us alive as long as it was going was uh, the back room. And I don't know if this is true for all gaming stores, but I guarantee you it's true for a lot of them, maybe even most, uh, except for like, you know, uh, GW specific stores or whatever. It's all about, you know, having people come into your store and having that bad gaming room. Yeah. Because that's where, you know, dude, we weren't making anything. We were taking losses, like all, because we didn't know what the hell we were doing, taking losses on actual merchandise. And our store was like the size of most people's living rooms anyway. But in the back, we had this other little room where there was always either a 14-hour, 15, 16-marathon-hour game of Battletech going. Nice. Or, talk about, yeah, talk about games you don't really like. Um, Vampire the Masquerade had just hit back in those days, back before that whole franchise turned into what it is now. But anyway, <clears throat> we, <laughs> we weren't going to talk trash about it. Better, better. Um, you know, again, it wasn't really my thing. I'm not really into the whole gothic punk like they used to right. call it in those days. I got into it later a little bit with, with Werewolf, but... But there was always a big crowd of people back there, you know, with little fake plastic fangs. And you know what? They were drinking soda. They were eating chips. And we were sending people off to Walmart, get a whole tray of that same choice cola or whatever. Uh -huh. You buy it for a quarter, you sell it for 50 cents. And by the end of the month, you walk away with $600 in profits or something. And if they don't, if you're going to talk trash about their games, you're going to chase them out of your store. And then what? Right. You know, so. And especially if in people America. are coming in to play your game and if they're playing Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic the Gathering or Pokemon, dude, who cares? They're eating your snacks. Right. And they're creating buzz and, you know, word of mouth. Your store is known locally as a place where people are going to come and spend time or whatever. 
even if they're not playing, you know, they're just sitting there yeah. hanging out and talking to people. And those if people there's drop. There, there's no one to hang out with. They drop big money when new release comes out. You know, Dawn used to be huge into magic. And we would go for pre-release night. You know, it starts at like midnight. And, you know, if you were there, you got to do the pre-release and then you can order your box of cards, right? A whole box. And I mean, uh, it was like $100, $150 a box. And then if you wanted the Masters, it's I think the new Masters set just released. It's $350 for a box of freaking playing cards, really. Um, but, you know, people do it. And they, they drop the money. And I know people, I was sitting there, because magic's not my thing. Um, and Don was playing. And I saw these people come in. It was a dad and their two kids, uh, two sons, I think it was. And they came in and they didn't play magic, but they saw all these people having a great time and stuff. And they're like, Ooh, I want to do that. And they ended up each buying a box and they've never played the game, but because they saw everybody having fun and, you know, enjoying things, they got all hyped up and, um, you know, bought the stuff. So, and I've done that. And when I go to like a Gen Con or, um, yeah, other it's, places, um, it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. So, you know. Oh, hello you, again. Hello? Yep. Hello. Are you there? Yep. We are. Are okay. you there? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> okay. Uh, for a yep. while, it was showing you guys had paused the call. Oh, no, no. We're here. We I heard you, everything you said, Jim. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. No yeah. worries. Yeah, because what I was saying, Jim, is that, uh, you know, what you're talking about in America especially, you know, we focus more on playing at game stores than we do game clubs, uh, which, uh, you know, in Europe, I think, uh, especially historically has been more the case where you go to the club to play. We don't have yeah, that so much so, here. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I always thought gaming stores and gaming clubs were synonymous. I thought they were like basically the same thing. Uh, yeah. We're, we're pretty separate except for maybe the independents. Um, I mean the, 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 you know, the Warhammer stores and such, they'll have areas to set up even stuff like, um, warlord, you know, for, for world war two, they have a number of tables at their, their HQ, same with Warhammer world. Uh -huh. Um, but as a community, we normally find, you know, a leisure center or, um, scout huts or these, you know, the empty halls, essentially school halls. Yep. And we, we, we pay a, a small amount, you know, a premium to, to set up there for an evening, start at, you know, 1800, finish at midnight and, and, and play through a game or two. Um, and those guys do lay out, uh, what we call a tuck shop. So all the, all the niff naff and little bits of things that you want to snack on. Uh, quite often you'll have a, a real food place nearby, so you'll head out there for a main meal, but you're still chipping away at the, the smaller stuff the whole time you're there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a nice setup. I like how it's done over in the UK. So, but yeah, we, we unfortunately, we don't have that here. Um, we could. We, we could. We, um, we, and what we, we kills at least, I know what killed the local store by us, uh, it finally went under a little while ago, is... Um, yeah, they could sell some games, but again, most of your money is going to be made on uh, concessions or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in order to go past a certain point, like you can sell like whatever a bag of food or whatever, you know, like your usual like snack and like you know Seven Eleven kind of stuff. But if you're going to sell anything hot, up to and including coffee, I think you need some kind of a special license. Um, uh, at least in yeah. most cities and states, and that can get really expensive. Yeah, because you got to have uh, the food safety and stuff like that. Like Gigabyte's yeah. Cafe down in Georgia, you know, they actually have yeah. a restaurant built into their store, and 
they sell alcohol and everything, but they have to have a food serving license. So then you got to have a food yeah. license, then you got to have a liquor license, then you have to have your uh, sanitation, county, county health yeah. inspection, then you have to have all the, the qualifications. As long as it's prepackaged, you don't really have to have that. So, I mean, if you're doing like chips and candy bars, that kind of stuff, yeah. you don't need it. Right, yeah, as long as it's a. Uh, a prepackaged uh, food item. Yeah. That's what we do at our uh, at our gaming parlor for my VFW. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, it, it leads me to a couple things. Uh, what, guys, uh, Gaz mentioned Warhammer World. Um, if you've never been there, you've got to go. Even if you're not a fan of Warhammer 40k, they have done that place right. Okay. The yep. food is eh, in in Bugbear uh, Bugman's Cafe. Um, yeah. The food's okay. We went there and we actually interviewed uh, the guys from GW after uh, UK Games Expo. And we hung out for a day and we went through the museum and through um, uh, Forge World store there and then the GW store because they're, they're actually separate. Even though they're the same company-ish, they're separate, right? And I found the most yep. incredible model in Forge World that I want to buy. I still want to buy it. Even though I don't play 40K, I have to have the model. And that is the Tau Manta. It's, what, $1,300 piece of resin? Yeah, something like that. It comes with <laughs> about 60 infantry to sit in the back of it as yeah. well. thing is as big as my dining room the, table. The, the audio cut out very briefly. How Sorry. many hundreds? 1,300. 13, that's, my first car cost 1500 <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fancy it's, car. Mine was 300 It's about as big as uh, my my kitchen table. I mean, it's huge. You know, it's it, it's amazing. Um, but, you know, even Don, who has zero interest in Warhammer, when we went through the museum and saw all the dioramas and displays, you're like, well, that's really cool. And then... You know, of course, if they do it like Disneyland, so when you come out, you're in the GW store. Right. And, uh, oh, yeah. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> so you're Shocker. like, oh, I want to buy this. I ended up buying uh, Lord of the Rings stuff. That's, you know, and Dawn's like, well, I would do fantasy, but of course, that was about the time they killed fantasy and made it Age of Sigmar uh, because she likes elves like me. So, you know, we, we would have done elves. But, you know, it, I mean, you, you do a right kind of display you'll get people buying stuff that you probably had no intention of ever buying yeah. uh which leads me to the question i'm going to pose it to each one of you so you guys think about it and i'd like to hear your answer what game did you see or presented to you that you got had no interest in prior and bought or picked up in some format and tried it or lo looked into it and were like i'm never going to play this hmm hmm Anyone would like to uh, go me, first? That's quite easy. So um, I've I've gone on a Kickstarter called Super Fantasy Brawl. Uh -huh. It's from Mythic Games. Uh, it's an arena-based game. It's a fantasy setting. Yep. And I've purely gone in because of the miniatures. They're really huge scale. They're very cartoony. Lots of surface area to work with. Lots of cloaks, weapons. You know, it's something that will give me the opportunity to improve as a painter. And the sculpts are all stunning. And we already know that Mythic produce excellent miniatures yes. for everything from right busters to mythic battles pantheon and you know joan of arc and solomon kane so we know i was more than happy um that i was going to get the miniature quality i wanted and um yeah i have no real interest really in playing the game yeah um but um yeah i saw the minis um saw uh-oh you there oh no yes yes talk to me goose <sighs> Um, yeah. 
Oh, wait a minute. All in on it. I've got every part of it and the storage mechanisms to keep the models safe. Yeah. Um, me and one of the two lads may play it at some point, but that was not the reason I bought it. The shiny. The shiny. The shiny. Got the, the shiny. The rule of cool. <laughs> and it got me. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Marty or Jim? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the new guy, so I have the, the short story, and uh, I have not, like, gone super crazy all in on a bunch of stuff. Uh-huh. So, so far, uh, I've been pretty conservative in my purchases, and uh, I like and play with everything I've bought thus far. Okay, good. You know, so I have... I don't know. I mean, don't laugh. My my gaming collection really consists of about six games right now. Yeah. No, there's nothing to be laughed. I mean, that's actually smart because you're going to actually play and, your six games. And yeah, and four of them all use the same miniatures. Yeah. See, there you go. I mean, that's now, that's smart game play collecting. You know. Yeah. Well, and and I you know I don't have a huge budget for hobbying, so that's why yeah I've done. No, it that that's way. smart. That's smart. Now. I've I've been looking. <laughs> you know, Gaz beat me to it. Blood and Plunder is, is is on my wish list for sure. Yeah, that looks very interesting. <laughs> um, Joe Veltri's uh, Gunslinger Paradise uh, just dropped, and I almost I'm gonna have to look at that. I, I I know nothing about that. I'm gonna have to look at that one. You, do you remember the TV show Wild Wild West? Yes. All right, so the cover looks very much like the beginning of that. Remember how they had the little squares and little, yes. little silhouettes? Yeah. The cover looks very much like okay. that. It's got a pretty... Uh, now, is it real Western theme, or is it like a steampunk or fantasy type thing? No, it's it's Western Western. Okay. And uh, just go look at, go look at uh, God's Eye Games. Uh, I, I'll got, do, we'll have to check it they, out. They've got uh, some Let's Plays and whatnot yeah. available now that it's out, uh, so... I think somebody sent us a link for it too. So and and, and he's already started uh, expanding it. You know, okay. So you got more forces. Uh, you know, there's uh, more scenarios that uh, they're doing like free PDFs. Okay. For. All right. So that that has got me pretty interested. You know, because uh, like Contact Front, one of the guy, one of the games I already play. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it's a modern miniatures game, is also a God's Eye Games product. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the other things, I don't know if we've really addressed this, uh, because one, I'm the rule of cool. If I think that it, I think the miniatures look cool, there's a pretty good chance I'll, I'll consider taking it for a test drive. Uh-huh. The second part of that is I listen to a lot of other podcasts and they interview, uh, you know, the game designers and the miniature designers and, do, you know, all these people in the industry. If I like you as a person in that interview... I am much more likely to go check out and or purchase your product. Yeah, yeah. And like Joe Veltri, uh, I've heard, I don't know, a dozen interviews with him. And I'm like, I, I could go have a beer and play games with this dude. I would love to do that. I want, you know, if he likes this game and he made it, I think that I would. You know, 90% of Mike the... Mike is from yeah. uh, Blood and Plunder. Yeah. Same thing. And we've had beers with him, so... Um... 90% of the people that I know that have designed games um, that have come to market are awesome people. You know, a lot of them are truly gamers at heart. There are a few people that were just businessmen that found a product and, you know, they're just in it to make a buck. It turns out there's not a lot of venture capital in this. Uh, depends on the company. If you, Asmodee. Well, yeah. Um, is a, now 
Well, CMON used to be venture capital because they had a Chinese backer, and then Asmodee took over CMON now. And I knew that was coming because we reported on it several years ago at CMON Expo, but that's neither here nor there. But, um, yeah, so it is... I agree with you. If you get a lot of good people, you know, if you if you find some kind of personal attachment listening to them or in an interview or watching them, you're more likely to invest your money into what they're, you know, selling or, you know, promoting. Yeah. So, but so you haven't had a one that you're like, eh. I, I, I haven't, uh, I okay. haven't got one where I'm like, nope, just not my cup of tea. So, I mean, like I said, I have a very limited selection yeah. thus far, but uh, I've been fortunate that, uh, you know, I, you know, I've, Obviously, I lean towards something that I think I'm really going to yeah. enjoy playing as well as, you know, having the minis. Because there's, you know, if it's just about buying a, a cool mini, there's places I can do that without a rule set attached right. to them. Right. And I do that. All right, Jim. Say, are we talking about are we talking about buyer's regret or are we talking about like, oh, I have this in mind, but I'm going to buy these other minis for it? Uh, no, I'm buying I, the I, minis just for the minis. You can. It's whatever you want. I mean. Basically, the original uh, thought of the question is you got somebody got you excited about a game that maybe you had no interest in buying or they sparked your interest during the presentation or sales pitch, whatever you want to consider it. You bought it. You got it home and you either read through the rule book or did a test play and you're like, oh, maybe not so much. Oh, and it sits there. That, that actually hasn't has never happened to me. Um, I will say that. Uh, no, seriously. <laughs> now. Um, Jim likes all games. <laughs> no, I like all the games because I, I look at the game before I buy it. Um, oh, he's a smart shopper. Yeah, well, hey, well, I mean, a little. <laughs> but I will say that I've bought tons of minis uh, for games that I never play or even intended to play. And that yeah. would pretty much be anything uh, Team Yankee. Um, Battlefront has made a huge pile of money off of me, and they're going to continue to do so because their miniatures are awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> but all the way back to that Team Yankee boot camp, I was like, these miniatures are great. I tried the game a couple times at the Team Yankee boot camp, and I was like, it's fun. You know, I'm with a ton of fun people, and I mean, you're at the you're at the on tabletop studio. Yeah, uh, you've got Justin on one shoulder, or John on the other, and you're chucking dice. I mean, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, but when you take it home and you're trying to pitch it to your friends, it's like, why are these tanks all fender defender? Why are we shooting at 200 meters? Why, why, why? You right. know what? That's cool. Um, now, as far as, I couldn't even expand it. Now, that said, I have like 50 vehicles and God, I don't know how many troops I have for um, for Team Yankee. And it's a game that I know that I'm probably never going to pick up. Um, but the miniatures are awesome. And I like building and painting them. And I'm just building up my collection because, you know, fun. Uh, this goes to that, um, whatchamacallit, uh, that Marine project I did uh, with, with uh, Team Yankee miniatures, um, Brian's Leathernecks and so on. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm going to build a 1991 Desert Storm Force. I just want a 1991 Desert Storm Force. Am I ever going to play this one tiny Marine Force that fought for 100 hours way back in 1991? Probably not, because the war lasted 100 hours. There's not a lot of replayability there. But that's not the point. I just want these miniatures, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to sit on my shelf, and they're going to look cool. Um, that could almost go to anything Battlefront, yeah. like all the way back to World War II. I've never been a huge fan of Flames of War. I've had a lot of fun with Flames of War. It's a fun game. Um, but when I first got into miniatures wargaming, I was trying to attract people to uh, my gaming table at this old gaming club we used to have. And we, to do so, we were playing, don't laugh, um, 
not Axis and Allies, the board game. Axis and Allies, Axis and Allies used to have a 15 millimeter yep. miniatures game yep. way back in the day. And by the time I got into it, it was kind of out of print. And the, the miniatures, the pre-paints, whatever, were like really kind of scarce on eBay or whatever. They were super cheap, but it was just whether or not you could find yeah. them or not. Yeah. So I started to kind of fill in my ranks with, uh, well, what else is there on 15 mil? Uh, I didn't even know what 15 mil was in those days. I was like, uh, that's in fact how I found on tabletop beast of war in those days, mm-hmm. um, was looking for 15 millimeter flames of war miniatures. And I stumbled on, uh, old Dave shoulder and Warren playing with their flying saucers, uh, in flames <laughs> of war. um, <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah, so I started buying flames of war miniatures for another game yeah for uh this old this, this even you know this this even simpler game that claims the war was this, was this other cheesy one um and then very shortly after that i found battle group and i was like oh they played it in 20 but they say it works for 15 it actually works better i think in 15 than 20 um so yeah then it was off to the races i'm just gonna buy like freaking almost everything battlefront makes and battlefront makes a lot mm-hmm. and i don't even know i'm, I'm over a thousand um vehicles a lot of it wow. from Flames of or I should say a lot of it from Battlefront. Yeah. And outside of boot camps, I've never really played Battlefront game like ever. Um, it's always been for either Axis and Allies miniatures, which again I don't really play anymore. Uh, but that was almost like my gateway game. You mm-hmm. know, I would like trick people into playing Axis and Allies, and then when somebody really liked the Axis and Allies mini game, I'm like, well, then over here we have Panzer Leader. If you want to go to the next level, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the first one's free. Come back, you know, next week for some more. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I hooked a couple of Panzer Leader games, uh, a couple uh, Panzer Leader players that way. But anyway, um, yeah, that would be my answer. It was especially Team Yankee, but honestly, almost anything Battlefront. Yeah. And they're, they're I mean, I, I know it sounds like I might be talking bad about Flames of War, the game. But how about we just say that I'm talking really great about their miniatures. And yeah. I have like 1,200 of their miniatures for a game, even though I don't even play the game. I'll still spend, what, yeah. dude, what is that, 1,200 times an average of 10? I mean, I've spent like almost $10,000 <laughs> yeah. in miniatures with these people. Yeah. Um, their, their kids are going to college on me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and let's be fair. I mean, you're not saying it's a bad rule set. It's just not your rule set. It's not what yeah, you are looking for in a game. Their, their, their miniatures are so good. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they really are. Uh, they are they're, they're in 15. Yeah. Uh, I also have a lot of PSC in there. Um, I also have a lot of, uh, old glory. I have a lot of, you know, different, but I, the biggest single share of that, probably at least 50% of that is, is battlefront. Yeah. When I knew every time I clicked that buy now, but every time I clicked that, you know, go to your cart button on the website, I was never going to buy, I was never going to play flames of war or really even team Yankee. Yeah. Didn't stop me from spending, you know, easily a couple thousand bucks with them. For sure. <laughs> Have you got the A10s yet, Jim? Nope. Have what? you got the Apaches yet? Yes. You got no I A10s? I have Apache from Rebel. I do not have uh, the Apaches, only because my Flames of War, uh, Team Yankee stuff, that's that's one of the things I'm going to build in the future. Right now I have Bundeswehr, <laughs> I have Russians, and I have U.S. Marines, <laughs> none of which use A10s so or A864s. Harriers? I'm sorry? The Harriers. The Harriers came uh, in. Well, you know, those are those are hella on my list. <laughs> those are probably the next thing I'm going to buy because I've got some I've got some uh, some Cobras that I'm putting in marine colors uh, again for more of my desert uh, desert storm force. The mm-hmm. Marines didn't use the the Apache, and um, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, have to have to get those uh, those Harriers. Yep. Because <laughs> so, Marines love those Harriers. <laughs> so let's see. For me. Uh, I, I have no games that I've never played or opened. None. None. Whatsoever. 
I have, a, let's be honest, I have a whole closet full of sh- stuff. Uh, and is that what you're calling the basement now, the closet? No, 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 I'm talking about the storage room upstairs by the hobby room. Yeah, I'm talking about all the rest of them downstairs oh, in yeah, the basement. Oh, yeah, too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let me just preference to say I am the worst when it comes to shiny syndrome. If you have a great presentation, I'm like, okay. He's an addict. I will buy it. Um, I... W- Missed out on the Joan of Arc Kickstarter. So I went on eBay and bought this Kickstarter. I looked at the box and went, this looks cool. Never even took out the rule book and read it. Um, it's it, just sitting there. It does look really cool. Though. It does look cool. Um, I, I, I backed Reich Busters. It's still in the plastic wrap. Um, I have not even looked at it, really. So um, I have a Test of Honor. Still in the no, I think I actually looked the minis and I'm like, holy crap, there's a lot of parts and I put it away. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I hear it's a great game. Um, I, I I think I've come to the conclusion I'm more of a collector than a gamer. In a lot of I love rule books. I will buy rule books for just about anything. I have a a huge stack of rule books that I don't even have minis for. Um, I like collecting. Um, you know, there's a very few games that I love playing. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Gaz and I played Lord of the Rings. Gaz was kind enough to help me put my uh, starter set together when we were over in um, Ireland last February and uh, a year ago February, and uh, we got a, a game, a quick game in um, of Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, that was when we had the Zulu weekend, the Rourke's Drift weekend. Uh, we did a lot of yeah. hobbying that weekend. Um, that was that was yeah. a great weekend. Um, <laughs> and then Gaz came over and, you know, there's still a whole bunch of Harry Potter miniatures that I have yet to put together for Dawn. That, you know, there, there's a thing of primed they, minis that Gaz primed a year ago. They paint up nicely <laughs> because I have them and mine are painted. <laughs> so I'm not... I, I, but, but to the, to the answer my original question, is there a game that I got so excited about I bought and got it home and went, huh? Well, I've already mentioned Gollum Arcana. When the guy presented it to us and I filmed the demo for Beast of War at the time, OTT, uh, for Gen Con when the, the year it came out. He sold me on that game. I mean, it was amazing, right? You have these miniatures that are come pre-painted. They have this quote-unquote smart board, and you have an app that helps you, you know, do the combat, and yada, yada, yada. And you have this pen that talks to the app so you know where you're moving. And I was like, amazing, right? So I was like, we're buying this. So we bought the starter set, and we bought some expansions. I was going to buy the whole kit and caboodle, and Dawn's like, wait a minute. Slow down there. Slow your roll. And, and I got it home. And we were like, you know, we made a video about all the stuff we got that year. I mean, we got a ton of stuff that year. And so we played it and because we were going to film a Let's Play on it, right? We started playing this and we're looking at each other going, what the hell? This is nothing like how he explained it. Or did You could play the game without the miniatures. All you needed was the app. You didn't need the game. You could play it on the app, right? Um, I was so disappointed I really wanted to take it out and use my shotgun on it, but uh, I was overruled. And so now it sits on a place of honor slash, I don't know, what's the other word? Disgrace? Shame. Shame. <laughs> on, on the gaming shelf as a display piece. Um, 
I, that game, I was so disappointed in that game. Uh, and that's nothing. It just wasn't what I thought it was. You know, and there's a lot of people who love it because, uh, unfortunately, the forums just finally closed down about last year. The game, you know, unfortunately just didn't do well popularity-wise. But there's a lot of diehard people uh, that really like the game. And more power to them. Um, Wild West Exodus, like I said, I was so sold on that game because it was a Western. Got it home, and I'm like, oh, I really don't like the steampunk aspect of it. So, I have the miniatures. I painted some of them. They're sitting on the shelf. Um, you know, there's a lot of games that you, you get so excited about. You bring them home, and it's like, you know, this really isn't my cup of tea. So, but it doesn't mean it's a bad game. It just wasn't my game. Well, when you say there's a lot of games. Yeah. As we said, I have like seven. Yeah. You have like 700. So, <laughs> <laughs> when, when you say there's a lot of games you bring home. No, you've brought home a lot of games. <laughs> well, it, we kind of slowed down the last year and a half because we didn't go to Gen Con or Adepticon. Right, right. Which, oh, man, Adepticon yeah. still breaks my heart. Yeah. Who keeps trying to call me? Ah, I see a white line. Uh oh! Looks like looks like uh, that, looks like Jim dropped off. Jim, I'm back. I'm back. Oh, we're well, both here. Sorry, yeah. Hey, hey, you. People keep we trying to interrupt our stream. So, all right, okay, cool. So that that so you guys out there comment and let us know what was your biggest surprise in not a great way. What what game were you sold on that when you got it you're like oh this is really not my cup of tea. Um, so you know. We can go from looking there. Over my bookshelf now, yeah. I'm looking. I'm, I'm like, I'm literally looking at it right now. I would say Twilight Struggle uh, oh. by GMT Games. Yeah, uh, I heard great things about it. It looked amazing. I, I got it home. It still looks amazing. It's by GMT, so I know the company's yeah. awesome. I, I know the game. Yeah, yeah. I just haven't tried it yet. I haven't gotten around to it. I opened it up and I saw like a million cards in there, and I was like, Oosh. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I haven't actually, you know, it, it looks like a game that will be tough to solitaire, and I'm not going to get Jen to play. Uh, well, I struggle, that's for sure. So, yeah, it's been sitting on the shelf. Um, yeah. I, I do want to try it one of these times, uh, that's for sure. But, no, it's I was super excited about it, bought it, got it home, put it at my shelf, and there it has sat for at least three or four years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some games out there, Twilight Struggle, Twilight Imperium is another one that everybody talks oh, about God, playing. Yeah. You know, and now they just came out with a new expansion for it. Um, I have yet that to play that game. Uh, you know, like a three or four hour game. Yeah. Easily, easily. Yeah. So, you know, that, that leads me to another quick question is what game out there that you really want to play, but you just don't have enough people to play it, you know, cause a lot of games to be really good need more than one or two people, you know, um, and, and, and you need the time to play them, that's you know, the, that's the challenge. Rise, rise and decline of the third Reich. That's like an all weekend game. Yeah, and you, to best play it, you need six players. Yeah, you can play it with two, but it works best with six. Yeah, that's a lot um, of resources. That's from the whole between people yeah, and six time. Six people. Yeah, so I have it. I played it back in the '80s when I was a teenager. I still have it, more for nostalgia than anything else. Uh, but I don't know if I'll ever play another game in my life. You know what is a, another amazing war game that you need a lot of people to play? <laughs> uh, Risk. <laughs> You need risk. <laughs> you have to have risk. I'm kidding, Jim. No, is that is that true? No, no. no. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. That risk is uh, 
That's a good old family game. That's how, that's how I learned to play war games back in the, I when say, I was a little kid. You know, Jim was talking about gateway games earlier. I think that's probably of a, a, a gateway game. I can remember my dad teaching us to play Risk when we were really little before we started playing Avalon Hill games. If Once yeah. you got to the point where you could understand and master basic movement and allocation of troops in Risk, then it was time to play Tactics, right? Um, so, and then move up. Are you talking about Avalon Hill's Tactics? Yeah. I still have a complete set of that. Do you? I, I I need to get me another copy of that. That I do not have. But so 1954 or whatever. That's yeah. that's like the birth of of, uh, of modern wargaming. Yeah, that um, was what red versus blue, right? So yeah, or yeah, or, or gray versus yeah. pink. It's yeah. how old your counters are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a, that was your entry into Avalon Hill Games, really Tactics Two or whatever they call it. So um, you know, it wasn't based on a country. It was just tanks and this and that versus. The the other side and you just battled it out right and you, you learned strategy it's literally, and, it's, it's, it's literally red versus blue there's blue yeah. capital and there's yep. red capital yep it's almost like the old green versus tan we used to play in the sandbox you yeah know, there's always yep. you know yeah your army green man. versus tan little plastic yeah. army man right yeah and, and that's how i mean that's how that was my first miniatures war game was plastic army men yeah that's yeah you know too. we we set it up uh, i had huge buckets full of that stuff and we'd set it up on my grandparents floor in the living room and have huge battles you know and back then we had uh, cat's eye marbles you know yep. i don't know if everybody knows what a cat's eye marble is but it's a big marble with like the swirl in the middle right right and you would okay. use that and you would flick it across the battlefield and whatever you knock down is what you killed so that's that's how we played war we used to do it with uh rubber bands so uh, we used to do it with air rifles unfortunately my grandparents lived in the city of chicago and air rifles were illegal so Jim uh, uh, busted we out the artillery in, early <laughs> but we were, we were you know out, out we obviously we're talking about outdoors yeah uh you set up you guys outdoors and like you were allowed to stand wherever your forward most guy was and because uh, there was a maneuver element to it, because you had to take your shot standing over your your, your over over your little two inch army man or whatever. So you know, as far as like where you could see, and you actually had to hit this little two inch figure with your little air rifle, yeah, your little red rider or whatever the hell you know BB gun basically. Uh, kind of stopped that because number one, we were damaging our, our plastic army men, and number two, we lost them out in the grass half the time. We couldn't find them again. <laughs> like I, I had a machine gun team out here somewhere. I'm like, where the hell? Did, then my dad would come out and mow the lawn, and that would be it. And it curse you out because you know you're rowing his blades, and yeah, yeah, I remember those days. So that that the little green army men were also my fur my my foray into my first uh, uh, explosions. Well, no, no, I, I was into explosives well before that. <laughs> Match head bombs for the win, but. Uh, uh, you know, you talk about them getting damaged. I had a dude that I, I much like Jim, lost him in the lawn, got hit by a lawnmower, and he lost a leg. Yeah. So I made him a prosthetic leg. Okay. That was, that was my first conversion ever, and I was like, I don't know, ten. Nah, we used to just take firecrackers, put them between their legs, blow them up. You know, pour gasoline on them, see what happens, that we, kind of stuff. We used to put model rocket engines in the nice. vehicles. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> get, a little, get a little green plastic cosmonaut going on yeah. in the neighbor's yard. Somewhere. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and close out the show. Uh, any last thoughts, Gaz or Jim? Oh, uh, no. No? A big one. All right. No, it's uh, been a good session. Oh, you know what? We almost forgot. Contest. 
Oh, yes, contest. Way to go, Marty. You almost forgot to remind well, me. Well, that's because I win, right? No, that, that, you don't qualify. BS. So if you watch the general show on Thursday night, I made an announcement and I showed off a box. I didn't show. I showed the minis, kind yeah, of. Sort of. Um, I have an extra set of the special edition minis from this year that would have been the convention minis yep. uh, from Spectre Miniatures. One is Baba Yaga and the other one. Is it Santa Claus? Yeah. Okay. Santa Claus in combat outfit. Yeah. Um, so because I'm so nice and have an extra set, I'm going to give them away as a contest. So here's how it's going to go. You're going to obviously have to listen to this entire show. Right. You won't know because you won't know. This keyword is Gun Bunny Santa. <laughs> Post the word Gun Bunny Santa in the comments on any of our uh, forums, uh, any of our you know platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, whatever, and we'll randomly draw somebody who knows the code word Gun Bunny Santa. And that lucky person will win the Baba Yaga and the Gun Toten Santa. Cool? That is our contest. So uh, I will make sure that people listen because if you don't listen, don't have the key, the code word, you are not going to win. You know, speaking of that, that would include um, that, that would include YouTube and Discord as well. Correct? Yep. Every yep. everyone, any, any of our platforms. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep an eye on YouTube and Discord. Perfect. So uh, you know, in the in the news, if you will. Uh, Spectre's production is up and running, and they've been shipping. I got my stuff. I got mine. Uh, our buddy Chris Wimmer got yep. hi- got his. You know, so uh, you know, I know everyone. Uh, you know, was bitching earlier about you know everything sold out. I haven't got my stuff. Whatever, it's coming. They they are they are delivering fast and furious. Yep. And that leads me to the other idea. You know, we have that other starter set to give away. We do the uh, first edition of their starter set, and I. When we do the broadcast um, for the either the transit game or no, we'll do it in both. We'll do a transit game and in the actual miniatures game. We're going to use another code word. So and we're not going to do it at the end so you can skip through. Now that you know, we're going to play in it somewhere in the, the thing and we're going to do it casual conversation. We'll come up with a code word and you'll have to know the code word and you'll have to post in the comments. And then we'll yeah. pick from those people who post the comments and so I'm lucky winner will receive the starter set. Now, to be fair to other people, if you've won a prize in the last 60 days from us, you are not eligible to win another prize. I haven't won a prize in the last 60 days. You're part of the command team. You don't qualify. <laughs> yes. He's desperate for that Baba Yaga. I, I know. I want Baba and Santa. Didn't you get Baba? You ordered no. it, didn't you? No, I ordered the... the uh, I told you to order it. Yeah. Well, no, all right. It was gone by the time I got to it. Well, that's the like, other thing about Spectre. I know, man. That stuff goes fast. So they 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 put up a uh, oh what it, what did they call that uh, uh, a covert pack? Yeah, and I didn't even get a chance. Ten minutes, that thing. Yeah, gone, gone. gone. Like this is all right. Yes. So there you go, guys. The code word today is Gun Bunny Santa. So make sure you post that in the comments on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. We do we even still have a Twitter account. I don't think we do. I don't check it. I'm not on Twitter. And our Discord server. And I actually at the general show, people were on the Discord server talking. Yeah. Blew my mind because I'm never on the Discord server because I just can't figure out how to use it properly. Um, it's so brand new. It's but it's really expanding. But yeah, um, good. 
but so, it's it's brand new. Yeah, we, we we may have like thirty people on there now. Oh, but it's 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 it's, it's starting out. Yeah. Speaking of which, we are over four hundred followers on our Facebook page now. Woohoo! Oh, there you go. Awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, we just hit three hundred. What beginning of June? I was gonna say, so that's a hundred in the last month and a half. Yeah. So thank you guys. Make sure you're passing yeah. the word out there. Um, we are really close to another number on YouTube. Yes, or I I, I, I lost count, but our numbers are climbing. And thank you very much. And uh, Podbean, we're well over 100 people now. I think. Um, yeah. So you know, I know it's a really small drop in the sea of podcasting, but for us, we appreciate it. We really yeah. do. So we're excited to have all you people, uh, you know, following along. Uh, speaking of which. Uh, do we still have seats available for the? We do. We uh, still have a few available. Um, we do. Um, make sure you're checking that out. Tell your friends. Tell everybody. Uh, we still have a few seats. If you're local, uh, we have a couple people that are local that are coming. Awesome. That you know, we have a special price. I think it's fifty dollars if you're local and don't need a hotel. Yeah. Um, you know and, that just covers the. Ex- and you already talked to somebody on sponsorship, yeah? Yeah. So uh, Knuckle Duster. Nice. Uh, min- uh, miniatures is uh, fairly local to us. They're down yep. in Bloomington, about an hour and a half from here. Yeah, I invited uh, Forrest up and for- Forrest declined, you know, pandemic and all. Yeah. I said, that's cool. Thanks so much. But he said, uh, yeah, that uh, they would send us some stuff. Nice. I have uh, feelers out with seven or eight other companies for uh, miniatures, rule sets, nice. paints, things like that. Uh, so uh, we are going to have uh, some prize support uh, and uh Perhaps even uh, some table support. Yeah, awesome. So, guys, make sure you get signed up for it. If you know somebody who is interested in wargaming, uh, get them on board, too. We're going to have a lot of different things going on. And, um, you know, Jim has challenged me, or I, where was it the other way around, to play World War 2.5 because, you know, he said I wasn't ready oh, yeah. for it. Yeah. So we're, we'll be having a game of that at some point during the weekend. And to be fair, they're coming in early. Uh, we have to talk about specifics, but I know Gaz is coming in early and spending time with us to get things set up. And yep. hopefully Jim and Jen will come in early and uh, we'll get a game in, you know, before we get everything crazy going. But, yeah, guys, there's still some seats left. Um, we promise you a good time. It's hotel, gaming, and food all included in the price. You can find the link on our Facebook page, uh, Sit Rep Podcast, um, or you can send us a message at... Uh, uh, sit rep podcast it's sitrep.podcast at gmail.com and we can get you the info and tickets and all that good stuff and if uh if you are a listener who uh wishes to attend and you have a favorite game that you want to run if it falls into one of the genres and we've got five or six of them uh-huh. that we are going to play let us know we're we're happy to let you run your your favorite game if that's what you would like to do you know you feel like you got robbed out of it at your local convention and you'd like to you know get your game on yep we we are more than happy i know that we've had one listener uh that's uh attending uh already uh reach out about that yep so you know if there's uh somebody else out there that says you know hey i really like you know my x y and z game whatever it is and uh, you wanna you wanna bring your table or you wanna run a game and whatnot? Yep. Uh, get signed up. Get a hold of us so we can figure out what support we need to do uh, to make sure that uh, the table goes the way you think it's gonna go, and we'll we'll make it happen. There you go. All right, guys. So we're gonna close out the show with that. So this is the Sit Rep Podcast for Saturday, August eighth, twenty twenty. So this show is actually recorded just before it's released. So what you're hearing is the most up-to-date information. Um, 
I kind of like doing it right before we release it because it, it's not two weeks old. Yeah. You know, um, so we'll have to still, talk about the command team. We'll have to talk about, you know, if that's something we want to explore in the future of recording it right before we release it because you get the most up-to-date information um, as you're listening. So for everybody here at the command team, we appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe to any of our channels and hit that like button and those uh, notification buttons as well to make sure you get notified of all our new stuff. We have a uh, painting with Gaz, a brew and view coming out this Tuesday, and then the general show again on Thursday night. Uh, and Jim, you've got uh, live streaming tomorrow. Um, so we are full house, busy, busy, busy. So here we go, guys. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Gun Bunny Santa. Gun Bunny Santa.